0: Amen. As you take a seat, turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Hey, let's give our, uh, our team a round of applause here, huh? They did pretty good, huh? They do such a great job leading us every week. Linda is filling in for Dakota, who's on vacation for this week, and, uh, and Nick, you know, jumping on the guitar and everything. So you got Lisa on the piano, the Bets representing on the drums and the keyboard and the whole choir and And all of our guys in the sound booth, they do such a wonderful job. But James chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, verse 13. James chapter 4, verse 13. Um, I was working two jobs. And um, one was part-time youth pastor. One was custodian at another church. And I was working these two part-time jobs while a full-time seminary student. And I was doing all this at the time Stephanie and I got married some 11 years ago. And when it came to the honeymoon, I was on my own. (laughs) I wasn't getting any financial help, and uh, meaning if we were to go do anything and go anywhere, it was up to me. And so there I was, saving every dollar, every dime and nickel that I had. Now, I had already paid for the ring. I was literally paying for seminary as I was going, in addition to everything else called life um, that I was paying for at the time. So I was scrounging around, trying to just come up with every dollar I could. And finally, though, I arrived at the number I needed in order to go on a five-day cruise. On the... Carnival Triumph. Now this was not the fanciest boat. As a matter of fact, it was one of the cheapest boats, if not the cheapest. And to prove that, within six to nine to 12 months after we went on our cruise, this boat right here broke down in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. Some of you remember that, right? And uh, I won't say the nickname that it became known as. Um, Now for us... It was a good boat for us, despite it feeling like we just stepped into 1980s-style bubble on the sea, it was a good ship for us. And in addition to the cruise, I had saved up enough for an excursion, and I had never been to a place with white, sandy beaches. I'm talking about where the sand is so soft, it feels like powder between your toes, The white sands, the crystal clear water, the palm trees swaying in the breeze, this picturesque location. I had been to the beach before, but not this kind of beach. But on this excursion that I had worked so hard to save up for, I was going to get my chance. We were going to get our chance. It was an all-day excursion on a private island. So we were going to get off our 1980s ship and hop aboard this yellow banana-looking speedboat and drive off to our private island. All you could eat, food and service, white sands, crystal clear water, palm trees swaying in the breeze. I mean, this was it. This was it. And I had so much anticipation and expectation telling Stephanie, man, tomorrow we're going to do this, tomorrow we're going to do that, and this is how, and this is where, and the what, and for how long. And then we woke up the next morning on the day of the excursion. We got on the dock at Cosmel. We walked about the dock in the shops for a few minutes, and we could see it. There in the distance, like a wild, angry tempest, coming in those dark clouds, we could see it, and they were approaching and approaching, and it didn't take long for our picturesque moment that we were envisioning like this to become this. Strong winds, heavy rain, darkness, waves. Now... They always say around the beach, oh, it just comes and then it leaves, right? You know, after like 20 minutes. Well, never when we're at the beach. That that never happens. And this was no different. It did this all day. They canceled the excursion. We would spend the rest of the day stuck inside our 1980-style bubble on the sea. As we walked back, our heads were down. I was extremely disappointed. And was for some time. I'm still disappointed. I still have yet to travel to such a place as that. But I did learn a lesson on that day. I learned a biblical teaching, one that is full of wisdom and insight, one that we should adopt and believe and take into consideration every day of our lives. That you can labor and toil and work for six months, for six years. For 60 years. You can do everything right. You can sacrifice. You can save. You can plan and prepare. You can anticipate and expect. You can climb those mountains and travel those valleys. Only to find your expectations and anticipations turned upside down. Shattered. Nothing like what you ever dreamed or desired. You can find it all completely gone. Just like That. Thus, no matter who we are, where we are, or what our circumstances are, we should always take the disposition of living for today. And I'm going to unpack that as we look at this passage. We should, in anything and in everything. We should declare, let not my will be done, but the will of the Lord be done. It should be, okay, Lord, my heart is yours. My mind, my life, my plans are yours. You're my treasure. Thus, my life, this day that you've given me, I'm yours. Your will be done. I trust you. I submit to you in all things. James chapter 4, verse 13, this is what James writes. He says, now listen. You who say, whether out loud or internally, you who say, hey, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this or that city. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to carry on business and we're going to make money, a profit. Why? Verse 14. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, and then vanishes. Verse 15, instead, you ought to say, whether out loud or internally, if it's the Lord's will, we will live. If it's the Lord's will, we will do this. If it's the Lord's will, we will do that. As it is, you boast or brag in your arrogant schemes, All such boasting is evil or foolishness. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now, this section that we just read begins a strong kind of double warning to the rich. To those who think they have everything and can do anything whenever, however, whatever. And this first bit that we just read, which is greatly connected to the second bit, which we'll look at next, it's a warning against arrogant presumption. It's almost like a warning against all Americans' mindset. Arrogant presumption, against too much confidence in our possessions or lives or plans for tomorrow. Be that business plans, be that vacation plans, be that family or retirement plans, personal plans, whatever your plans are. See, James had many readers, as he does today, who were bragging and boasting about when, where, how long, and what. Boasting and bragging about timing. When they were going to do something. This afternoon, tomorrow, this is what we're going to do. The destination, the where. We're going to go to this city. We're going to go to this country. We're going to go to this state, this location. They were bragging and boasting about the duration of the stay. Ah, we might spend a year there. Ah, this is how long we're going to be there. For a couple of months, for a couple of weeks, for a couple of days. And then the what, the activities, what they were going to be doing. The leisure, the business, the activities that would bring a profit. They were boasting and bragging about when, where, how long, and what. And James is saying, do not boast or brag about anything, except maybe the Lord. Do not boast or brag about anything, for how can you? Because seriously, he in essence says, who are you? Who do you think you are? You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen this afternoon or tomorrow or the next day or next year. Just ask anyone who's following college football realignment. You don't know. Just ask anyone who's following politics. Just ask anyone who's following the weather. I had no idea it was going to storm all day yesterday. Just ask anyone who's following the next trend or the next fad or the next viral video. We don't know ask anyone who's following the stock market or the next interest increase or inflation we don't know now james is not saying cuz we could read this and walk away thinking this james is not saying that we are not to live proactive lives he's not saying hey don't prepare or plan He's not saying, hey, let's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's not what he's getting at. What James is doing is reminding his readers, he's reminding us of what Proverbs 16 9 says. We can make our plans, and we should, but it's the Lord who determines our steps. We can make our business plans. We can make our retirement plans. We can make our vacation plans. We can make our family or personal plans. We can make all these plans, but it's the Lord who determines our steps. He's saying you have to live with that kind of wisdom and understanding. You have to live with that kind of humility You should always live with the disposition that we are slaves to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, that's how James starts off his entire book. We are slaves to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of how much control we think we have. Due to our money, due to our positions, due to our lives, and so on. James is reminding us that at any moment, despite what we've done or who we are, our lives as we know it or our plans as we want them can be gone, changed, or altered like that. So you're not to boast and brag about, what you're about where you're about to go or how long you'll be there or what kind of profit you stand to make for who are we? But people who are here one moment and gone the next. He says, what is your life but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes? Now, what is James referring to? What imagery is he trying to get at? Is he referring to fog? Or that kind of mist, like a fog, that's here for a while and then gone? The word he uses does not refer to this kind of mist, like a fog. A fog can be there for days. Some places, fog can hang around for weeks. Maybe James is referring to kind of the mist or the dew on the grass that appears every morning. It's here for a little while, but then it's gone. But again, the word that he uses does not refer to this kind of mist or dew. Because dew can arrive at 6, 7 a.m., and lasts all the way till 1, 2 in the afternoon, depending on how long your grass is, I guess. That's not the word James uses. The word that he uses here for mist refers better to steam, hot moisture, like steam over a boiling pot of water, right? You just imagine yourself there at the stove and you're boiling a pot of water and what happens? That steam begins to rise and as it rises for just a second, it looks tangible and it's there and then it's gone. That's the word he uses. You're literally here for one second, you're gone the next second. What is your life? In the grand scheme of all history, we've been here for like one second. And that can be true for individuals. It can be true for cultures. It can be true for an entire generation. In the grand scheme of all history, who are we but here for a second? What do we honestly really know? And quite literally, our lives can be here one second and gone the next. At a last church, there was a couple that we knew who was in our church, and they had just moved from our community to a nearby community. They were both in education, in administration within education. And so they moved to a new school district, and they were just a few years away from retirement. They had planned, they had prepared, they had been proactive for a long time with their affairs. They had just bought, in a way, their dream home, the home they were going to retire in. The dreams that they had for so long were starting to become real, tangible, so close, like us pulling up to the docks at Cosmel the night before that storm. Then, just months after settling there, on one normal, seemingly mundane day, like a Tuesday or a Monday or something, The husband was running on the treadmill. He did this every morning. His wife was getting ready for work in the other room. After a while, she noticed that he had not come out from his workout to get ready also for work. Some time had passed, so she goes in to check on him, and he's lying down on the floor. He was gone. He'd had a massive heart attack and was gone like that. You're here one moment, you're gone the next. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how hard you planned and how hard you prepared and how proactive you were and you did everything right. Doesn't matter where you believe you're going. At any moment, what happened to him can happen to any one of us. Doesn't matter your age. I've had a lot of friends, similar situations. So if we take the disposition of, no, 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 I'm in control, I own my tomorrow. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm in control of my destiny. All my possessions, all the people, all the plans, I'm in control. If we take that disposition, James is saying all the scripture and the Proverbs and the wisdom literature are saying it's foolish. Because all that's ultimately going to happen is the rug is going to get pulled out from underneath you. And then what? Then what about your plans? Then what about your possessions that you're hoarding? Then what? Jesus addressed this same idea in a similar fashion with those who were about boasting and bragging as if they were in control of it all. In Luke 12, we read about this parable, this story that he told. Jesus said, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So the guy was already rich, and the ground, who's in control? The crops, the rains, everything? God's. So God blessed him with a beautiful harvest. And so, what is the the man's response? Jesus says, The man then thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. So take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then what? Then who's going to get what you have prepared for yourself? Then what will your plans come to? Then what? You're here one moment, you're gone the next, so then what? So James is saying, you believe and act like you have control. You say, ah, we will live. But he's reminding us of the wisdom of Scripture. Who's to say we'll even live tomorrow? See, we ultimately know nothing. We ultimately have nothing. Ultimately, apart from him, we are nothing and we can do nothing. We are sustained by him. Every moment and second is because of him. There is one who is in control. We're not him. We're not God's. And again, this doesn't mean we don't plan or prepare or live proactive lives This doesn't mean, well, then let's just eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. This doesn't mean that we live in fear or doom and gloom. But our boasting and bragging is foolish. It's not wise. And if we live that way, we'll only find the rug being pulled out from under us at some point or another, and then what? See, James says, instead, we ought to say, we ought to live In such a way as this, if it's the Lord's will, then we will live. If it's the Lord's will, then we'll do this. If it's the Lord's will, then we'll do that. In other words, where is our heart, our mind, our lives? Where are our plans? Are they under the lordship of Jesus Or are they trying to take lordship from Jesus? Where's our heart, our mind, our lives, our plans? Are they under the lordship of Jesus? Or are they trying to take lordship from Jesus? See, instead, we ought to, as the Proverbs say, trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We ought to lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways, as James says in James 4, submit to him. In humility, submit to him. And he, the one who directs our steps, will make our paths straight. So we ought to submit our hearts to Him, submit our minds to Him, submit our lives to Him, submit our plans to Him. We ought to trust in Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, in all our ways, acknowledging Him, submitting to Him. That's the good we ought to do. The good that we know we ought to do submit ourselves to him humbly every day jesus says pick up your cross deny self pick up your cross and follow him this day this hour this moment lord i'm yours here i am i humbly submit to you in all things and in everything we must allow our hearts to be under the lordship of jesus and quit allowing them to try and steal lordship from jesus We must submit to him because he is God and we are not. We don't know. Again, what are our lives? But hot steam over a pot. Here one second, gone the next. In his connecting passage in James 1, remember James 1 was like an introduction. And he elaborates throughout the rest of the book on that chapter. And this is his connecting point in James chapter 1. He says, listen, let the rich... Boast, if they're going to boast, let them boast in their humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, the rich will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, it withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And I want to add this. All of this does not mean that our lives are in vain. It's not what James is saying. This does not mean that our labor is in vain. This does not mean that our legacies are in vain. Our lives were created by God and for God, and Jesus is alive. Meaning, death is not the end of the story. Thus, for those in Christ, our lives, our labor, our legacies are not in vain. Meaning, how we live today, what we say, what we do today, it matters. Our labor, it matters. Our legacies, they matter. There are countless brothers and sisters in the faith who were here one moment And gone the next. Some of them tragically and unexpectedly, others by persecution, and still others quietly in their sleep after a full long life on this earth. But regardless of the circumstances around their deaths, those who live for Jesus and love Jesus, their lives, their labor, their legacies prove that our God is faithful and that it matters. Because of who Jesus is, because of what is to come for all those who love Jesus, our lives, our labor, our legacies are not in vain. So as the scriptures say, so serve the Lord with gladness. Live full lives today for Jesus and in Jesus. Prepare, plan, and live proactive lives. That's wisdom we also see throughout scripture. But in all of that, live for Jesus today, above and before anything and everyone, all the while. Knowing that He is the one who directs our steps. Also knowing that at any moment in time we could be called away, called home. Our time on this side of eternity over. For some of us, our end may come tragically and unexpectedly. For others, it might come by persecution. Still, others, it might come quietly in their sleep after a full, long life on this earth. But regardless of the circumstances around our deaths, we must know that our lives and our labor and our legacies, they matter. They will prove that our God is faithful. So, as Paul would say, in light of the resurrection of Jesus and our hope in him, my dear brothers and sisters, so stand firm. So let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So, in everything and in anything, submit your hearts, your minds, your lives, your plans to Him. Ask yourself where's my heart? Where's my mind? Where's my life? Where's my plans? Is it under the Lordship of Jesus? Submitted to Him? Or are they just simply trying to take the Lordship from Jesus? So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward. We're going to have a time of invitation. Here in a moment, West and I will be standing down here at the front. And some of you have some decisions to make or to make public. Maybe it's the decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe it's to follow through in baptism. Maybe it's church membership. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's just to make a decision public. Maybe it's just to come down, to, to talk to one of us, to pray with you, or to, to kneel at these steps. Maybe it's just to sit right there in your chair. And just to, everything in you, just submit to Him. But for all of us, we have to ask the question. We have to allow God to answer the question. Is my heart, is my mind, is my life, are my plans submitted to him or not? Or am I trying to take the lordship from Jesus in these areas? And thus then boasting and bragging about what I'm going to do, when I'm going to do it, how I'm going to do it, for whatever. What's the answer God's given you? Be obedient in his calling on your heart to mine. Even as I pray, you come forward. Father, we thank you, we love you. Convict us, bring us to obedience, transform us. And I pray that in everything and in all things, we would know the good that we ought to do. And that is to trust in you. To lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways to acknowledge you, to submit to you, to humble ourselves, to draw near to you, to submit our hearts and our minds and our lives and our plans to you. The good we ought to do is to deny ourselves every single day and live for today, denying self, picking up cross and following you, making plans, sure but knowing full well that you are the one who directs our steps. Bring us to a point of obedience. In Christ's name I pray. You stand with us as we sing. If you have a decision to make, now's the time.